You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I was in Kansas City a while back for some meetings, and I ran into this guy that, uh, that I hadn't seen for a while. He's a, he's a district superintendent, which means that he oversees like 80-some churches. And so I said to him, um, anything really great going on in any of the churches you're pastoring? And he goes, yeah, I got a story I could tell you. Um, we were just kind of sitting at dinner, and uh, he said, there's this one church, and, and the ladies in this church have become kind of concerned or heavy or burdened for a certain group of ladies in the community. And, and the group of ladies they have become concerned for are ladies who work at a gentleman's club not far from the church. And so the ladies in our church, they went shopping. And they went to stores like Bath and Body Works, and they bought lots of gifts, and they made up these very nice baskets. And so one night, all the ladies from the church showed up at the gentleman's club. And so the bouncers at the door are saying, no, I don't, I don't think so. And finally he goes and talks to the owner, and the owner goes and meets the ladies from the church, and this is really all you want to do, you just want to give gifts? That's all we want to do, we just want to give gifts. All right, if that's it, then you can give gifts. And so the ladies from the church go into the gentleman's club, and they give these gifts, and they were received very well. And, and then they go back a little later with more gifts. And a lot of good has come out of it, like, the guy who owns the gentleman's club and the pastor have become friends and now they're doing a Bible study together every week, he said. And I don't know where all of that finally led to, but I just know that some great things were happening. So you might be saying, let me get this straight. So these ladies from the church, they go to a strip bar with gifts to give the ladies who do the dancing the gifts. That's right. And they weren't wanting anything in return. No, they weren't wanting anything in return. They were just giving gifts. And so it all went okay. Yeah, it all went okay. And then they go back later with other gifts. Yep, they go back later with other gifts. And that was it. Yeah, that was kind of it. We, we ate dinner with Joel and um, Rachel the other night at their home. And, and Avery was there. And uh, Avery is his precious. He's four years old. And when it came time to eat, Avery said, uh, I'll pray. And we said, okay. And then she says, you say it after me. And I didn't know for sure what that meant, but her parents seemed to because they said, okay. She bowed her head and she said, Jesus. And Joel and Rachel said, Jesus, after she said it. And then she said, thank you for this food. And Annette and I had called on. We're not real sharp, but after a while we'll get it. And so Annette and all four of us said, thank you for this food. And we repeated every phrase. And finally she says, amen. And we said, amen. And so to borrow from Avery today, I just want to make sure the bottom line of the sermon is pretty simple and that you get it, okay? So if you will repeat these words after me, we'll try it, if you don't mind. So Jesus, Jesus calls his followers, calls his followers to, serve to serve others. I think you probably got it. It's pretty simple and straightforward. But just to make sure, let's, let's do it one more time, okay? Jesus, Jesus calls his followers, calls followers to serve others. The passage of Scripture I want to share with you is in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And I'm going to begin with verse 1. 
And I'll put the words on the screen for you, okay? So here we go. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. So that tells us that they probably are at or near Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. And so having loved his own who were in the world, I mean, I just love this next phrase. He now showed them the full extent of his love. So the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That is significant. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped this towel around his waist, And after that, he poured water into this basin and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And so Jesus answers him, Simon Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I wonder if Jesus laughed when he answered this and says, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet, Simon Peter. His whole body is clean. Think about these words. And you are clean. What if the living Jesus looked you in the eye today and said, you are clean. Connie, you are clean. Bob, you are clean. Would you love to hear those words from Jesus? Tim, you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And so when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. Now listen to this. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Man, this is a powerful phrase. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Hmm. I, I, I spent the last 10 years in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, in doing so, there, there's a church that was only really about three miles from our church, and it was called the Vineyard, and it was a very large church, a church of maybe eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. They were known in our community for kind of being a service whose trademark, a church rather, whose trademark was service. And so here's what it looked like in everyday life if you lived in that community. You would just be driving through town on a very hot day. You would come to a stoplight. There would be some people standing in the middle of the road. They would reach down into an ice bucket and they would pull out a bottle of water and they would push the bottle of water toward you. 
So I'd roll down my window and I would take the bottle of water and they would say, have a great day. And I would say, thank you. And I would drink the water as I would drive along. So on holidays, holidays, they would go to places like police stations and um, fire stations and hospitals. And they would take boxes of donuts and they would say to the people who were working, thank you so much for serving on a holiday. Or they would do things like show up at public businesses with cleaning supplies in their arms and they would say, hi, we are from the Vineyard Church. We were wondering, could we clean your restrooms? And I'm sure there were a lot of people who would say, could you do what? Could we clean your restrooms? We want to clean your toilets. Sure, you can go clean our restrooms. And so they would go clean their restrooms and you would see a sign up as you're driving along that would say free car wash. And so you would, you would pull in and get a free car wash. And when you pulled in, it was a party and they were glad you were there and they were handing you a candy bar and a glass of water or a bottle of water. And they would wash your car and you'd drive away and they wouldn't take any money. They were just known as a, as a community of faith that was all about service. And so I would have to wonder as I would interact with those people, the people who see me in this world, the people that I interact with, do they see me as a person who is very willing and ready to serve others? Is that like the reputation that I have? Do people see me as somebody who would do something for them? And I think it's a great question when we begin to open up this passage this morning to look at it. As people look at you in this world, how do they view you? Do they view you as a person who is willing and ready to serve other people? You see, I know who's sitting in front of me. And I think I know how you think. And I think I don't have to do much to get your attention. If I want to talk about serving others. I think there's a generation behind me that is motivated to serve people. You might remember Jesus is with his disciples and they come in from this long walk, this long journey. And so when you journeyed, you walked. That's how you got places. And the Bible says when they got back into the house, Jesus says to the disciples, hey, guys, come here. I want to talk to you about something out there on the road. What were you arguing about? And nobody wanted to say. Nobody wanted to tell Jesus what they were arguing about. And the reason they didn't want to tell Jesus what they were arguing about is because they were arguing about who among the 12 disciples was the greatest disciple. And now they're embarrassed. They got caught. Jesus overheard them. And Jesus says to his 12 disciples, if any of you want to be first, you must become the very least. And on top of that, you must become the servant. The servant of all. And so Jesus defines greatness. Not in a person who has authority or not in a person who has power. Or not even a person of great leadership. But he defines greatness in a person who is willing to push up their sleeves and get on their knees and wash somebody's dirty feet. Jesus says, that's what makes you great. And so in this last sermon of this series called Expectations, I think the question is, so God, what do you expect from me in regard to service? I want to talk to you about Jesus. 
I just want to think about Jesus with you for a few minutes. And I've got a reason for doing it. But when I think about Jesus, I think as a follower of Jesus that my goal is to become like Jesus. If I understand it right, the people who lived in Jesus' day, disciples of a rabbi, were more interested in becoming like the rabbi than anything else. Yes, they wanted to follow his teachings, but what they really wanted to do was to follow his example. So if you were a disciple, your goal was to become like the rabbi. I want to be like this man. And as I understand living a Christian life, my goal is to become like the teacher. My goal is to follow the example. I want to become like Jesus. And so I'm not left to just wonder what that's like because I had this picture of Jesus because 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes into our world. He walks among men. He loves. He heals. He blesses. He forgives. And he shows us what God is like. And then willingly, he dies on a cross. I I read to you a verse a moment ago that said he knew that God had given all power to him. And you must understand that that whole cross thing he agreed to. In the garden he said, not my will but yours be done. Jesus willingly goes to the cross. He becomes the sacrifice for our sins that we can be forgiven and our relationship with God can be made right. The ultimate act of service. I don't know what more you can do for any person than what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he does this ultimate act of service. Why? Because he loves us. The Word of God says, I read you a moment ago, he did this to show the full extent of his love for them. And John continues to tell the story by saying that he took a towel And he takes off his outer cloak. And he still has on a tunic, which is like an undergarment. I'm wearing a t-shirt under the sweater and shirt. A tunic would have been much longer than a t-shirt. And it would have been a little different in material. And so Jesus wore that next to his body. And then on top of that, he wears a cloak. And he takes the cloak off. Just so the cloak is not in a way because he's going to do some work. And he wraps a towel around his waist. And he gets down on his knees in front of his disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. And the Bible says he takes the towel and he dries their feet after he washed them. And I wanted to say all of that to you. I just wanted to make sure you understood a few things because here's what I want you to understand. To serve is to follow Jesus. To serve is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To serve is to follow the example that Jesus gave us. So when you are serving, you are doing what Jesus would do if he were here. To serve is to follow Jesus. I got a story I want to read to you and uh, ran across it and and I think you'll enjoy it but I think also you'll be you know touched by it and I hope to make a great point with it it's written by a lady who is like a pastor a minister and she says I was at an airport waiting to board a plane 
And I had my Bible on my lap and was very intent in what I was doing, but I noticed this man who was also waiting. I tried to keep from staring, but it was such a strange sight this man was. He was humped over in a wheelchair. He was skin and bones. He was dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. But the strangest part about him was his hair. It was stringy and it was gray and it hung well over his shoulders and down part of his back. So I looked down at my Bible. (laughs) Discomfort was burning my face. I tried to imagine what his story might have been, but I had no idea. And there I sat trying to concentrate on the Word of God in order to keep from being concerned about a thin slice of humanity, humanity served up in a wheelchair just a few seats from me. And I began to feel God working on my spirit. And I tried hard to resist. And I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh, no, God, please, no. I looked up at the ceiling as if I could stare straight through it into heaven and said, don't make me go witness to this man in front of this crowd of people, please, the Lord. And there I sat in that blue vinyl chair begging God, please don't make me witness to this man. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, I'm not asking you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. My heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts began to spin like a top. Do I witness to this man or do I brush his hair? That is a no-brainer. I looked straight back up at the ceiling and said, God, as I live and breathe, I want you to know that I'm ready to witness to this man. (laughs) I'm on this, Lord. I'm your girl. What difference does it make if his hair's a mess, if he's not ready for heaven, right? But God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. I'm not asking you to witness to him. I'm asking you to go brush his hair. And so finally I got up and I walked over and I knelt down in front of the man and I asked, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He he looked back at me and said, what did you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10. Little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk a lot louder than that. (laughs) And at this point, I took a deep breath and blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the place darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than that old man. My face was red, my forehead was breaking out in sweat, And I watched him look up at me with absolute shock on his face and say, if you really want to. Are you kidding? Of course I don't want to. But God doesn't seem interested in my personal preferences right now. (laughs) And God pressed on my heart until I could offer the words, yes, sir, I would be pleased. But I have a problem. What's that? I don't have a hairbrush. He said, I have one in my bag. And so I went around to the back of the wheelchair and I got on my hands and knees and I unzipped the carry-on, hardly believing what I was doing, going through his bag. 
And I stood up and started brushing the old man's hair. She says, a miraculous thing happened to me. Everybody, in the, everybody else in the room disappeared in my mind. There was no one alive for those moments except me and that old man. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of his hair. I know this sounds strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. The emotions were so strong and so deep and so pure that I knew it had to be God. His hair was finally soft and smooth. I slipped the brush back into the bag, and I went around the chair to face him. I got down on my knees. I put my hands on his knee, and I said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, I do. And then he offered an explanation. He said, you see, I haven't seen my wife in months. I've had open-heart surgery. She's been too ill to come and see me. I'm going to see her today. Now, I was just sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must look for her. My hair is an awful sight. And she says, I learned something about God that day. I learned that he knows if you're exhausted, if you're hungry, if you're hurting, or if you're sick. He knows if you're drowning under a wave of temptation. But he also knows if you just need your hair brushed. And I love her last words. She said, God didn't send me to that old man that day. God sent that old man to me. You're going to have to do me a favor and just kind of push pause on that story for one second. And I'm going to get right back to it. But you might be saying, I want to get this. And I want to grasp it. And I want to walk out of the room changed today. But I don't understand the whole foot thing. The reason I don't understand it is because if Jesus is saying you should wash each other's feet like I've washed your feet, I don't see it happening. Maybe you say I'm not a veteran to church or maybe you say I've been to church for years, but I've never washed anybody's feet. And frankly, I don't want anybody washing mine. And if you ask us to all break up into pairs and wash each other's feet, I wouldn't be impressed in the next few minutes. <laughs> so why would Jesus say you should wash each other's feet? And what does that mean to us today? You understand that I appreciate pavement. I, I didn't know that I appreciated pavement. And it was a long time before I really realized how much I did appreciate pavement until I started taking trips to third world countries. And when I would go to third world countries, there wasn't much pavement. There was just a lot of dust. And I've always worried that I had some kind of, you know, reaction to dust because I get to thinking I'm not going to keep breathing and I, I panic a little bit if I get too much dust and I look at Annette like, am I going to be okay? And she says, you're going to be okay. You understand, when Jesus lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago, it was basically desert. And so there was lots of dust. On the rare occasion it rained, there was lots of mud. And I've got on shoes. And I've got on socks. I wear shoes and socks almost every day in the winter. But in the summer, I like to wear flip-flops. You understand, their shoe was a sole, really a sandal, with two leather straps over it to hold it on your foot. That was it. 
And so it only makes sense that if you lived in that environment and in that world, when you came into someone's house, there would be a water pot set in there. And before you entered, you would wash your feet. Or a slave would wash them for you. You know, we, we have people over at our house for dinner. And Annette and I would confess to you that neither of us are great at just pulling the trigger when you get ready to serve a meal. It's like we, we struggle to get it all on the table and ready to go. And so when people are coming to our house, if we say be there at 6 and they show up at 6, honestly, it's not on the table. I'll just be honest with you. It takes a little bit to get there. And we're both kind of looking at each other, rolling our eyes, saying we'll get it there. But we usually say something like this. Hey, the bathroom's down the hall. Go on in and feel free to wash your feet. No, we, don't, we never say that. We always say, go on in and wash your hands because if somebody came to your house whose feet smelled really bad, you might want to say, wash your feet, but you probably wouldn't. But you understand that's now and here. And that was then and there. And then and there it was dust and it was mud on rare occasion and it was sandals only. And so when you came in, your feet were dirty and you had to wash them. But more often than not, you could afford at least a very poor slave who did the lowliest task of getting on his knees and washing dirty feet. Well, what does that look like today? And what is Jesus asking us to do? I think it looks like a lady standing in an airport. over an old man sitting in a wheelchair. Brushing the tangles and the knots out of his long gray hair. I think that's what it looks like. I, I, I love it when I see the kingdom of God just happening in front of me, you know. You walk by a Sunday school classroom on Sunday morning early and there's a group of elementary kids in the room or a group of junior high boys and sitting in the middle of them is some guy. Some guy that's got a good job and he's well respected at his work and he's got a great family. And you say to him, what are you doing in that junior high class with all those boys that need their feet washed? And he says, I'm, I'm just serving I love kids, and this is something I can do. You guys have coffee in your Sunday school class? Oh, yeah, we have coffee, a little something to eat usually. It's really nice. We have a little fellowship, you know, before we get into the lesson. It's always good. Who cleans up the mess? Oh, there's a couple of folks that clean up the mess every Sunday. What are you doing cleaning up the mess every Sunday? Oh, Pastor Rick, you wouldn't want me to sing, that's for sure but I can clean up the coffee mess. Or I stumble on Saturday morning into the FLC and there's a bunch of kids playing basketball and in the middle of every huddle of kids, there's a coach and often there's an assistant coach and there's a referee and I want to say to those guys, you're working full time every day of the week. You barely got time to get life done. Saturday's your one day off. What are you doing over here? And they say, oh, it's a place that we can serve. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a mission trip and I've been doing some very menial task like digging a ditch or painting a wall and right there beside me is some person with some big time job with some big time salary and if their peers would see them they would say hey you know you can hire people to do this stuff 
And the response would be, it's, it's not about that. I've been at this church for 10 months. And I'm always asking somebody, who does this? And they tell me. Well, who cooks all of this? They tell me. Well, who sets all of this up? They tell me. Well, who does all of this work? They tell me. Just volunteers. What are you guys doing? Oh, Rick, we got this awesome example. <laughs> and we try to follow the example. And we think if Jesus was in this church, we think this is what Jesus would be doing. We're just trying to follow. I remember this guy named Tracy Willoughby. I did his funeral two years ago. Tracy was the kind of guy that was just so laid back. He died way too young, probably in his mid-60s. I remember one day I said to Tracy, I said, Tracy, do you ever get upset about anything? He goes, no, I just live according to my motto. I have told you what my motto is, haven't I? No, you haven't told me. Okay, here's how I live. Never hurry. Never worry. And never, ever volunteer. <laughs> I said, well, you're pretty bad at living according to your motto because you volunteer for everything. He just laughed. Tracy, what are you doing? Oh, I've got this example. I'm just trying to follow. I know I've got to wrap up. Let me just do this real quick. There was this... There was this lady that I was in school with when I was at Asbury. I was an adult by this time. I had the girls already, and that and I were married, of course. And we had two, two girls, and I was going, trying to finish up some school. And, and, um, and there was a lady in my class named Janine who was a Nazarene pastor. And Janine tells me this story about going to see this older lady who was gruff and harsh and a little bit rude, but as she got older, it got worse. And she finally basically isolated herself ostracized herself from anybody who would ever want to visit her just because she was so unkind. And she said, I was warned when I went to see her. And sure enough, when I walked in the door, her greeting was, what are you doing here? I wanted to check on you, she said. I wanted to see how you're doing. She said, within a few minutes, she says, well, if you're going to stay, why don't you cut my toenails? What? I said, if you're going to stay, why don't you cut my toenails? Make yourself useful if you're going to stay. And she told me where the clippers and the fowls were. And so Janine said, I sat on her bed. And I pulled her leg into my lap. And I started working on her toenails that I had had no attention for a long, long time. And she said, it took me probably an hour. And the longer we talked and the longer I worked, the more soft she became. And she said, I finally finished. And I laid her foot back onto the bed and I said to her, I should go. I didn't think I would stay this long. Is there anything else I could do for you before I leave? And she said, embarrassed, she responded. Would you hold me? Nobody has held me in years. 
And Janine said, sitting on her bed, I pulled her into my arms and I cradled her. When I listened to Janine tell the story, I realized that the old lady was not the only one who was blessed by the encounter. I didn't read verse 17 for a reason. After Jesus says, I've washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've given you an example. You should do for one another what I've done for you. Then here's what he says. Now that you know these things, and everybody in the room now knows these things, you will be blessed. You, not the recipients, but you. You will be blessed if you will do them. And somehow when we try to serve, why are we the ones that always feel so pumped up when it's done? I go on a mission trip to help somebody that needs help and I come back home feeling helped. Because Jesus makes us a promise. Now that you know to do, do these things, if you will do them, I will take care of you. You will be blessed. You take care of them, I will take care of you. So, Kyle, come on up, will you guys? We'll sing before we go, okay? I, um, I, I was looking at email this week, and I popped up this email from BFC this week at BFC. You guys get that? And I noticed there were three opportunities to serve. One was in BFC Kids. We need help. And it was come to a meeting on March 10th. And then I saw this other one about rec ministry saying that we need help with leagues and you don't even have to be a great athlete or know a lot about sports to do some of the things we need you to do. And then there was this other one about the Navajo Reservation in Arizona, a trip being taken in May. You want to go? We could use your help. And so I just thought it was kind of neat that there was three opportunities right there where, hey, you can serve. If you want to serve, here's some places you can serve. We also have emails of all the pastors on the back of the bulletin this morning. And so if there's a particular area, just email that pastor and say, you need help because I can help you. I can serve in your area. You think we ought to serve here at the local church? Yeah, I think you ought to serve here, near, and far away. I think you ought to serve. I think it's what God expects of us. And I think the question to ask is, do the people that I interact with in my world see me as a servant as Jesus was a servant? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.